This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. So this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of God. My name is Connor Mackey. We're, we're not going through stories of breakthrough again. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about outreach today. Uh, but you may have not been expecting to see me this morning. Uh, you may have been expecting Pastor John. Uh, Pastor John is down in Illinois. A uh, father figure in his life passed away last week. Uh, he, he called Pops. You may have heard him reference Pops before. Uh, and so he's spending some time with friends and family down in Illinois this week, and he will be back next week. And so he does appreciate the sympathy and the prayer that uh, we as a congregation have shown him. Uh, I've said before, this is just what we do as a church. We show sympathy and prayer towards those who need it. And so we've done that again. And uh, praise God that we are in a position where we can uh, go alongside him in that morning and with his family. And so before we begin today, would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this church in this place, that we get to come here to worship you, to read your word. Today is going to be a day dedicated to your word and dedicated to uh, a couple of, of stories that I feel the need to share. God, I pray that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, and if they are not, if they are not the words that you want these people to hear, strike them from our memories. Let us walk away from here knowing your truth and your truth alone. Uh, We pray for uh, Pastor John and his family as they are uh, spending some time together celebrating the life of a loved one. And so we pray that you would be uh, with them in that uh, that time celebrating and also mourning. And so we thank you uh, for bringing us here again today. We thank you for your word, the opportunity to worship you in this place. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you weren't here last week, maybe you're a visitor today, or maybe uh, you were out of town last week, we had some stories of breakthrough, where we shared some uh, moments in the lives of some of our congregation members, where God shared with them a moment of revelation, 
where their life changed. And in one of those stories, the story from Matt Mackis, he shared something that I want to point out to you because I think it's important. He said that there are certain pages of his Bible that are more worn out than the others, pages that he goes to on a regular basis, pages that he feels the need uh, to rely on. In the past, you may have heard me say that there are certain passages that I like to live in. I like to live in. It's a common uh, terminology that we use here at CRC where we say that we live in certain parts of the Bible for certain seasons of our lives. And uh, where this comes from is actually coming from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is a mid-1800s, the late 1800s pastor and theologian, and he said this. He said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And the idea here, right, is that there are things in good books that we can learn, things that are even helpful or good to us, right? Charles Spurgeon was an author himself. He wrote books, and he wrote good books, and he wrote many good sermons as well. But this right here, this Bible, this Word of God, is where we should be living. Because all other books, all other authorities, all other voices that are speaking into our lives must align with this. 2 Timothy 3.16 calls this the word of God which is breathed out by God. God breathed. That's the same language used to describe God breathing into Adam, right? And it says that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting and a list of other things. This is something that we can guide our lives with, right? We also as CRC have a, a book or a, a passage that we like to refer to pretty often. And it's Hebrews 4.12. We mentioned this last week. We had a whole series on this a couple uh, months ago, but it says the Word of God, this Word of God, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book right here is alive and active. God has breathed into it, and it is living to this day. It is our final authority. This, my friends, is the primary way which God speaks to us. And so all other authorities must align with this. And this is what we live in. As Charles Spurgeon said, read many good books, listen to many good sermons, but live in this. And today I want to share with you a passage that I seem to live in in September every single year. Every September, this passage comes up in my mind, and uh, it's just like, God has been pointing this out to me. This is where you need to be is in this passage. And you've already heard it. It's Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. And so today, I'd like to share with you my main point up front. You've already heard it. It's very straightforward, but my main point is the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You notice I use that word workers right there instead of laborers. That's because the word laborers is hard for me to say. I mean the same thing. We're going to go with workers today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And this is where we're going to go today. I'm going to lay it out for you. I'm going to share a story of how this has been true in my life in the past. And then we're going to talk about us. And we're going to talk about how this is true for us as a church. And then we're going to see what God has to say through his word, which is his main way of speaking to us about 
this topic. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's talk about me for a moment, right? Every pastor's favorite topic, right? Uh, not really, no. Uh, if you know me, uh, you may know that I was saved at the age of 17, came to know Jesus at 17, and then I immediately, almost immediately, got involved in middle school youth group. So I'm a high schooler involved in youth group, uh, teaching the youth and whatnot. Did that for about two years, till I was 19 years old. At 19 years old, I decided, you know what? I have two years of volunteer experience. I'm ready. Somebody give me a paycheck. I started applying to churches. And uh, despite being undereducated, underqualified, and I would argue very underage for the position, I got hired as a youth director at the age of 19 at a small church in Grand Rapids. Worked there for two and a half years. The half is because I started in January. Any good youth director will tell you the best time to start a youth group is definitely not January, right? But we went for it. Started youth group in January, started with three kids, and uh, yeah, that was my life for two and a half years was working as a youth director. After two years of this, I found out that I was definitely not cut out to be a youth director. It's not work that I can do. I admire people who are capable of working with youth. It's just not my gifting, right? And so uh, I put in my six-month notice because in churches, you put in six-month notices. You don't put in two-week notice. Please don't do that to somebody. You put in a six-month notice. So I did. And at the end of that six months, at the end of my two and a half years at this church, I was facing something that we call burnout. It was exhausted. Uh, I had been working very long hours and seeing what you may hear uh, being called diminishing returns, right? Putting in a lot of work, but not seeing uh, great response from it. And so I'm done, right? Decide that I can't do it anymore. And uh, put in my six months notice. And at the end of that six months, decide I'm not just done with youth ministry. I'm done with ministry completely. I'm out of it. I was enrolled at Denver Seminary. We were gonna move to Colorado, fun little fact. We didn't move, we're still here, as you can see. Uh, dropped out of Denver Seminary, and uh, Ashlyn and I started going here again. Uh, we were not married at the time. We got married sometime in between uh, then and now, as you know. And, uh, <laughs> and immediately, Ashlyn got involved with youth group, right? We came back here and she's like, bam, I wanna help out with youth group. She had friends that were helping out there and she, that's, that's her calling, right? She can do it, I cannot. Uh, but I sat on the sad, sidelines. I decided, you know what, I, I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back. I'm gonna do nothing. I'm not even gonna volunteer, right? I'm just gonna be back here. Did that for about a year. And then I get a text message from Pastor John and Matt Meckes. And the text message is simply, we want to meet with you. There was more to it, but that was pretty much the gist of it, right? We want to meet with you. And uh, when, you're a, when you're a young man and the pastor texts you with uh, Matt Meckes in the, in the text as well, you say yes. You say, yes, sir, I will be there. Wherever you want to meet, whenever you want to meet, I'll be there. And so we met together in the youth room of the activity center, which is right out these doors, right? And we went through the pleasantries. You know, oh, hey, John, this is the first time I'm talking to John face-to-face. I had known Matt for years before this, but we're going through the pleasantries of, John, where are you from? 
Bourbon Day, Illinois. I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely remember that one, Bourbon Day. But we met and we talked and we went through the pleasantries and they ended our conversation with asking me one simple question. That question was, why are you here? That's, the, that's a hard question to hear, considering the context, right? Because here I am with ministry experience, a degree in this stuff, right? And I'm, in, I'm young, right? You should be involved in everything, because that's the expectation of young folks sometimes, is to be involved in everything. So why are you here? Because you're not adding, you're only consuming. And I think I gave them some baloney answer of like, oh, well, we love the people here. And we do love the people here. But truthfully, Ashler and I were looking for other churches at the time. We were on our way out. And they were kind of calling calling me out on it because I wasn't doing anything. Ashlyn was involved. She was highly dedicated. And I wasn't, right? The conversation turned into this moment where we started talking about young adults in the church. Because back then, there was like eight of us. You know, there wasn't that many of us. Uh, and so we started talking about young adults and what young adults might need and, and how, can we, how can we get more young adults to stick out and, and hang out here in the church. And it came to this conversation of, well, maybe we should start a young adults group. And hey, Connor, remember how you're qualified to do this? Congratulations. The job is yours. I said, okay, let's do this. And so I start meeting with young adults, right? I meet up with Matt's uh, small group. I'm texting people I've never talked to before. I'm meeting with people for coffee, and we're kind of hanging out, and I start to see something. I start to see this point. In the vineyard, there is a great harvest for our ministry. I start to notice that there are tons of young adults hanging out in Coopersville, or at least in the surrounding area, who have nowhere to go. And so we make a goal. You gotta have goals in life, right? We make a goal of 15 young adults by the end of the year. And I start getting all these people together and I tell them we're gonna meet September 16th, 6.30 in the youth room at the activity center right over there. This is in 2020, right? And on the 16th of September, we have 16 young adults in that room. Boom, we already met our goal. And you're thinking, great, that's awesome. And I, here's what I tell them. I tell them, you give me four weeks Four weeks, and if at the end of those four weeks you decide that this is not the group for you, four consecutive weeks, you can walk away. Find somewhere else to be plugged in, but if this is not the group for you at the end of that time, no judgment. You tried it. You gave it your best, right? And the next week, we had eight people. We got cut in half, almost immediately. And the next week, it's about the same, Week after that, about the same. Week after that, about the same. So here I am thinking, oh great, we saw that there was a harvest to be had here, and CRC, you said, well, we want to put workers towards that harvest, right? And here I am thinking, I'm going to be out of a job in about six months. Um, and so we, we reevaluate. We say, hey, what we're doing right now is not working. We gotta redo things. We were meeting in a circle, we changed it up to a rose, we started having little debates and everything, we started having worship, we just changed everything. We even changed the lighting in the room, little things like that, right? And we changed everything, and by the end of the year, we were averaging 24 young adults in that room, right? And that's a big deal in Coopersville, because there's not that many young adults. I mean, we, we kinda like, 
I told people like, yeah, there's tons of young adults here. There's really not that many young adults here in Coopersville, right? And so at the end of the year, boom, we get signed on for season two of the Vineyard for next year. And we meet up for season two, and uh, we averaged something like 24 young adults this last year. And we peaked at like 43, and it was a great year. Good news, right? The reason why I share these numbers with you is because there is indeed a harvest to be had of young adults in Coopersville and the surrounding areas. They're there. They're hiding. They're hungry. We have conversations with them that are hard and difficult. They have real questions, and they need a place to go to ask those questions. Church, you took a chance by giving me this opportunity, and others like me, I'm not the only one involved in this, but you took a chance, and I'm telling you right now, you saw the harvest, you saw that it was plentiful, and you said, we wanna send workers out into the harvest field, right? But the vineyard is not the only ministry here at CRC. Uh, There is a great many of ministries. The harvest is plentiful and a great number of ministries here at CRC. I thought about taking all of our ministries and listing them on the screen in multiple columns, but it would have taken up two, three slides because we have so many ministries. We have a quilting group. Not very many churches have a quilting group, right? And we make quilts and we send them to people in need. A lot of churches don't do that. That's an impressive ministry to have. But specifically, I wanna talk about one ministry, and that is the nest. Because the nest is a ministry that looks at our town and says there is a need here, there is a harvest to be had in kids, and we can both feed them and teach them the word of God. The harvest is plentiful. Have you ever looked at what the nest does? They get, this, they get the van, the church van. You ever ridden in the church van? It's sketchy, but they do it anyway. <laughs> They're putting their lives on the line for this ministry. They get in the church van, they drive around town, and they pick up kids, they bring them back here, they feed them. I used to flip the pancakes for Monty back when, back when I helped, and like you just keep on flipping until that man tells you stop. You just keep going. They feed them, they give them a lesson, and then they bring them home. This is not like some 45 minute to an hour dedication a week. This is hours a week. They saw that the harvest was plentiful, and they said, we're going to send workers out into the field. And there's prayer involved in this, right? And so this is just one ministry that we as a church say, we care about this, and we wanna push it even further, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Sometimes, when we look at these ministries, these predic- I'm gonna call them predicaments, please know that I don't mean that there's a problem here, but this, sometimes it's like a burden, right? Sometimes we look at these ministries and we feel the weight of these ministries on our shoulder. If you've been in ministry, you know what I'm talking about. We know that it's not our burden to carry, right? But we still do, because we're human, and we feel the weight of things on our shoulders. Sometimes when we look at these ministries, we see all the work that has to happen and we get a little bit discouraged. Sometimes it can be like looking at this room and then looking at the town and saying, the harvest is definitely plentiful. And even if every single one of us was involved in ministry, if every single one of us was living sent, the workers would still be few. Sometimes it feels that way. The good news 
there is good news, is that Jesus is fully aware of our problem. Or sorry, Jesus is aware of the challenge that we are facing. That's better wording. Challenge is much better wording. Jesus is aware of it. These are Jesus' words that we're reading here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he gives a solution, right? He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest. This is to be our response. The first thing that we see that Jesus tells us to do is to pray. And that can seem like the Sunday school answer where we're like, yes, Connor, we know that we need to pray. But that is the genuine answer that is first and foremost, is we need to have prayer that God will send out more uh, workers into his harvest field. But there's a couple of things that I want you to notice in this passage. The first of which is the Lord of the harvest. Lord of the harvest. So I get up here, I'm about to convict myself, right? I do this intentionally. This is not me having some revelation in front of you. I did this intentionally. I get up here, and I say to you, hey, guess what? We had 43 young adults in that room this year. Folks, it's not my harvest. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. Yes, I'm fully aware that God has used me in that work, but we should be cautious and understand that it is God who has made this harvest grow. In 1 Corinthians 2 or 3, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, I planted the church, Apollos watered it, but God is the one who made it grow. And we need to remember that, remember that right? That like we, we plant, we water, but we are not the ones who make it grow. This is God's harvest. He is in control of it. And that's, that's my next point about this passage. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest, not ours. We don't own what's going on here. We are the workers. We are the instruments by which God does this work through, right? And he's completely glorified in that. And it's a beautiful thing. But there's, there's more to this passage that I'd like to point out. Because these words, they're, they're beautiful, they're encouraging, they're exciting. They kind of make you want to be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody that I meet, Right? But there's a context to be had here. And we should talk about the context. When Jesus says these words, he's walking through towns and he's teaching in synagogues and he's healing people. He's taking away uh, their infirmities, right? Their impurities. He's helping people. But it also says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He sees the crowd, has compassion for them, but he says that they are harassed. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And this language, if you're an avid Bible reader, may sound a little bit familiar to you. And that's because it's, it's, uh, it's resemblant, resemblant, that's not a word, it's, it's bringing us back to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, let me set the scene for you. You have the priests, you have the prophets, and you have the leaders of Israel. They should be the people who are leading the people of Israel, right? 
making sure that the people are prosperous in surviving and have enough food and, and worshiping God and everything that they do. But instead, what these leaders are doing is they are stealing from the people. They're raising taxes. They're setting taxes at the, the temple door. They're making it so that the people of Israel are going hungry. And God is aware of this, and he's not too pleased about it. And so God, in Ezekiel 34, says this. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will, not, and will hold them accountable for my, for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Not exactly the words you want to hear if you are in leadership. Not exactly the words that the Israelite priests, prophets, and leaders are wanting to hear from God. Because God has just said to them, you have done this corruptible stuff you steal from the flock, and now I'm going to take that position away from you. There's some conviction to be had there, right? But there's also good news, because then God says this, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. God's response to Israel, not, uh, Israel's leadership not taking care of the flock is that he will be the one to shepherd his people. And so we have two analogies here. We have one of harvest. This is the Lord's harvest, right? It belongs to him. But the other analogy, which is very similar, is that God will be the one to shepherd his people. This is not our harvest, right? And while, you know, I get up here, the teaching team gets up here, we've got a bunch of people on a teaching team here at CRC. We get up here and, and we teach you, we are fully aware that we are, you are not our harvest, right? And that's important for us to, it humbles us to a position where we recognize that God will do this work through us, but it is still God doing the work. What I think is important in this is that Jesus is called the good shepherd as well. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. There's a transition happening here. You ready for this? Because Jesus is the good shepherd. God declared back in Ezekiel 34 that he would be the shepherd of his people. And now Jesus is here, and he's saying, I will be the shepherd of my people. I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Hebrews 7, 27 says this, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Catch this. Jesus, as the good shepherd, instead of stealing from the people, 
gives himself as a final sacrifice. We just sang about how it is finished on the cross, right? The way of being a good shepherd for Jesus is to say it is finished on the cross to overcome death for his people, to give his life for his people. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. He is opening us up to that harvest. He gives himself as a sacrifice so that we can go to the harvest and say, look, you need to understand what this means. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice once for all. In all of our ministries, this is what our goal is, right? It's not just about making quilts. It's not just about feeding kids. It's not just about having a bunch of young adults in a room. It's about making sure that they understand that Jesus was the final sacrifice. That's the harvest, right? The good works and everything, those are, those are great things that we get to do. We enjoy those things. But the true harvest comes from teaching them that Jesus is the final sacrifice. And so what do we do with this information, right? I have five things. Well, those are small. They should have been bigger. I'm the guy who makes the slides too, so there's nobody I can blame. So that's, that's not me. The first thing that we can do, obviously, I've already said it, is pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? We need to be praying to the Lord of the harvest. Before we go into any ministry that we're going to be working in, prayer is first and foremost. Bam. I, mean, I know, again, it seems like Sunday school answer, but I, I'm telling you, sometimes, you can confess to this, sometimes we go into our ministry and we're like, I'll, uh, I'll just start, right? I'm just going to dive into the ministry. Prayer should be first and foremost. Second, give it, take encouragement from one another. This is big. This is something that I struggle with, right? Uh, taking encouragement from one another is sometimes a little bit difficult because, again, this is God's work. This is God's harvest. We are just instruments which God uses to do this work. But people can still give us encouragement, right? People can still walk up to you and say, hey, I'm thankful for the work that you do. I'm proud of you for the work that you do. And our response in that moment should be, thank you. I do it for the Lord. Maybe give credit to the Lord in that moment. I do it for the Lord. You know, there's God working through me, but thank you, right? I have the tendency to just kind of like blow them off. And that's actually damaging, right? We should be thankful in that moment. Second, or third, give encouragement to one another. There's a lot of good work going on here in the church. And there's a lot of volunteers who could use some encouragement. Uh, Bob, you mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that there's a lot of people that make this service happen, just getting to this moment. We can thank them, right? We can go to them and say, hey, you are helping in making the harvest. You are helping in working in the harvest for the Lord. Fourth, this one seems a little bit more obvious, but join in serving in a ministry. Uh, at, this, at this point, if you've been going to Coopersville Reformed Church for a while, you know that we have this understanding of living sent, living missional. And understand, there was a moment in my life, right, where I had to back away, where I had to spend some time resting. And some of that was good. But there comes a point where you've got to step back into it. Step back into the ministry. Maybe it's not right away. Maybe you just started joining us today for the first time. You don't need to sign up for a ministry today. That's okay. 
But if you've been coming here for a long time, maybe this is the time to be stepping into a ministry where you can serve. And fifth, join in being served in, uh, by a ministry. Join in being served by a ministry. If you are pouring yourself out, you should be poured into as well. We have a long, long list of ministries uh, that can pour into you, that can, that can serve you, right? If you go to our website, coopersvillereform.com, you can find a list of ministries, and it is extensive. We have something for everyone from cuddle-up time to senior adult. Uh, Pastor Arnold is, like, taking people on trips all the time. The dude is nonstop. It's awesome. We have something for everybody at every age, and you should be fed uh, by those ministries. Sunday morning, this is great. We love Sunday morning. But I'm going to push a little bit and say maybe Sunday morning is not quite enough. One hour a week might not be enough. Join in being served by a ministry. And in doing that, you know, we have this model in the, the vineyard. I don't share it very often even with the vineyard. But when you are not there, we are missing out on part of the body. And it's the same for our ministries, right? When you're being served by a ministry and you're not there, that ministry is missing out. They want you there. They want to hear your voice. They want to hear your opinions. They, they want to share your time with you and share life with you. I want to end uh, by looking at our relationship one more time. All of this is great. All of this information, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the har harvest to send out more uh, workers into his harvest field. Like, that's, that's all great information, and it's encouraging. But I think it's also fair for us to dream a little bit, right? I'm all for dreaming when it comes to our ministries. We're a, we're a church of four to 500, right? We're a mid-sized church in a town that is ever-growing. I think we could dream a little bit and think of a redeemed Coopersville. Now, I'm all for global missions. I'm all for it. But my personal calling is to focus on Coopersville here, right? And I dream of a redeemed Coopersville where people think of Coopersville and they say, that's that Christian town, right? That's that town that, like, has all those churches in it. Because we have a lot of churches in Coopersville. But imagine a town that, like, people hear about when they're talking in Grand Rapids or hear about when they're talking in Lansing and they hear of Coopersville, they hear of it as this place where we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because again, if all of us are involved in working in the harvest field, all of us are involved, the workers are still few. I don't know if you noticed, but it seems like Christianity is on a decline these days. There's a great harvest to be had there. We can look at that and say, hey, that's discouraging. Or we can look at it and say, what a harvest to be had. And I think that we should be dreaming of a redeemed Coopersville where that is a reality. Where people hear about us and they're just like, I, I want to know Jesus because this town is different, right? These people are different. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. Uh, we pray for the harvest. We pray for those who need to know your word. We pray for those uh, who you may be placing 
in our lives right now and calling us to speak to. God, we recognize that the workers are few. So send us out. We pray for more workers. We pray for more disciples. That is our mission, to make more and better disciples. We pray that that would be a reality here in Coopersville, where people would look at this town and they would say, there's something different about that town. That town knows who Jesus is, and I want to know who Jesus is because of that town. God, in all of this, we pray that we don't take the glory. It's not about numbers to us, but numbers still represent souls, God. So we we pray for a kingdom vision, that you would be redeeming this town and bringing yourself glory in that process. In Jesus' name, amen.